I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Liz on, on the Twitters. I'm Ben Travers. Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And happy Monday as you listen to this. Happy, uh, not quite Monday as we record it. Uh, we're recording a couple of days in advance as, as we do sometimes. And it doesn't really matter though because the thing that we want to talk about, the most important TV show of the week, the TV show that we desperately desperately want to discuss, we wouldn't have been able to see it until Sunday night anyway. So it really didn't matter when we recorded this week. We are, of course, talking about Veep. Veep, 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 Veep. It's Veep Veep, Week, guys. We know it. We know you love it when we just take a show, take a low-rated show that not a lot of people are watching, and just talk about it for twenty minutes or so. It's not even that it's low-rated. It's just that like the ratings in comparison to the other ratings happening right now are so depressing to me. Like it's it's. Why don't they want, why don't people want more joy in their life, Liz? Like, why are they so obsessed with the show that's so sad and dreary and and angry and violent? And why don't they just want to watch, you know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus make, just obliterate people? Like, just, just destroy them with words that are really, really funny words. Well, I've actually, I've been having some conversations with people lately. Like, I feel like, you know... I'm sure this happens to you occasionally. People ask you, oh, what's good right now? What are you enjoying? And it's difficult when people ask me to recommend like a comedy because I've I've become more and more conscious recently of the fact that like, you know, when when it comes to taste and comedy, like people get pretty specific. Like they they might not say they do, but people are very sensitive, I think, a lot of times to certain kinds of comedy. Um, Like... And I think Veep falls into a, a class of comedy where people people assume that it's all humiliation humor and, you know, all that, which is sometimes uncomfortable to watch. But I've, I've been thinking about it a lot. And the thing I find fascinating about Veep is that it, a lot of it does hinder a lot of a lot of the jokes do are based on the idea of humiliating certain people, but especially like. But, but like with a character like Jonah, I'm, I'm just diving in. We're just diving into Veep talk, guys. We haven't seen the finale yet, but we can talk about what everything that's come up to up to this point, including the amazing level of dunking that the show does on Jonah Ryan, who has become one of my all-time favorite comedic characters just because I love the fact that A, the world hates him, as does the show, and B, he doesn't care. Well, I, think, I mean, I think Jonah is such a good example of why I guess I struggle to understand the perspective of people feeling too uncomfortable or or <laughs> burdened, I guess, by the humor. Like, uh, no, I don't want to use the word offended because it's a it's a I mean, it's a vicious show with very coarse language. And, you know, some people just don't like the language. But the people who don't respond to the humor, it's confusing it, it, it because Jonah is such a representative of someone like clearly he's formed an identity unto himself over these seven seasons where you know there's certain things that you can point to and be like that's a Jonah trait his haircut his suspenders um the the way he kind of twitches with his glasses or, or tweaks his glasses while he's trying to um <laughs> make up an excuse for something um but like he's he's an embodiment of kind of the ignoramus politician and you know because the the targets of veep are always politicians or someone connected to the political cycle 
Um, they're almost always representative of somebody outside of just the specific character themselves. And obviously what what's really funny a lot of the time is how dialed in they get to the uh, physical attributes of said performer and of said character that they're trying to eviscerate. Um, but again, like that's just that's just kind of what makes it fun. Like it gets to say the things that nobody else really gets to say. It gets to go to places that uh, other people don't get to go, and it gets to do it um, while set like while critiquing, satirizing a, a platform a platform that people don't like. Like people don't like politicians. Like we nope. should all be able to get together on this and say these people are terrible, and the people on the show are are perhaps as terrible or almost as terrible in certain situations. Um, but to me, that's why I, I always struggled with the idea that Veep was inaccessible to a larger crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely have heard from enough people who, you know, it's not their cup of tea uh, for one reason or another, but it's always kind of just surprised me, especially because so much of it comes back to Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Who's everyone it? loves Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the best. Like, I, I there, <laughs> there's no real other way to say it. She's just the best, so. Yeah. Well, I feel like Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the best. I mean, I can see, though, people not necessarily, like, the, the Selena Meyer, though, is not necessarily the best person. No, of course not. But again, that's that's the whole that's the whole point. Like she's like like Julie Louis Dreyfus is so good at what she's doing, and Selena is representative of those kind of power hungry, um, <laughs> power hungry above all else politicians uh, who need to be eviscerated and need to be taken down a peg. So the fact that she, you know you're putting this very likable human being um, at the center of of, uh, of an unlikable universe is kind of what makes to me like makes me think that's your entry point like that's the thing that should get you in the door and then you can't leave once you've stepped through yeah god i'm just thinking right now about at tca's the moment when uh, Ju- uh, julia dreyfus was there via satellite and but dave mandel was on stage and dave mandel made some joke about well when i gave julia the cancer and her reaction like her slightly delayed reaction to hearing that and then just the way she, I think she like maybe fell out of her chair laughing. Yeah, she's got, I mean, she's got a great, she's got a great laugh, kind of an all-time laugh that a lot of people can um, connect with, which is great. Yeah. Um, and we, they've got a great relationship. But I mean, Mandel is also a, a, an important thing to bring up in terms of kind of the longevity of Veep. Friend of the podcast, Dave Mandel. Exactly. Um, when he came on board, like the seasons that Armando Iannucci crafted, uh, you know, the first four, you know, he's, he's a, he's a Brit. Like he's kind of from across the pond looking in, (laughs) looking in at our dysfunctional bubble and uh, critiquing it. And the show felt that way. Like the show felt, and this is not a flaw by any means, but it felt like, um, you know, you were, you were purposefully removed from these characters a little bit so that you could examine the chaos they're creating by all of their selfish, horrible, you know, calculated misdeeds. And then when Mandel came on board, especially over the last two seasons, you've been able to note just how much more personal some of these storylines have become. Some of that is necessitated by 
time. You know, we've come to know these people long enough mm-hmm. that we want to, you know, get a little bit more inside them and find out what's happening to them and find out a little bit more about their personal lives and, you know, where they come from, what they're going to do next. Um, you know, I, I very much love the the trip to Sam Richardson's hometown in mm-hmm. Iowa. Like that was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but you also saw it at the end of, of season six when, you know, Julia <laughs> made the choice that she made. And for the first time, she's coming down that ex- escalator and you see that little tear oh, in God. her eye. And you're like, yeah. that's not something that we would have gotten, you know, four years ago. Interesting. Um, it, it's it's the it's kind of internalizing a lot of this and bringing it into a more character-based story so that the, <laughs> the uncomfortable satire becomes, for some people, I mean, I'm, I guess I could see how that would be a little alienating, but for me it becomes all the more effective because when you actually relate to them as human beings and you still see what they're willing to sacrifice and where they're willing to go, what they're willing to do, what they're willing to say, who they're willing to toss under the bus, it makes it feel all the more real. And we're in a moment right now where we see so many of these horrible things happening in the real world by people who are real, yeah. nink and poop assholes. Um, <coughs> and, uh, you know, that that seems like it's fitting for what we're going through right now. So, um I just again like I feel like I feel like Veep should should have those big numbers. Yeah. Like I like to pretend, you know, the HBO Now viewership is like, you know, 10 million people and they're all they're all, <laughs> you know, just tuning in that way because that's their preferred method of Veep, but uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just I really have so much admiration for how long they've been able to keep this up and yeah. whenever somebody tells me it's not good, there's so many little things we can toss them, you know, like those scenes, like just, just go back to um, the list of Jonah Ryan insults to bring it all oh, the yeah. way back to Jonah, like just the lists of his names. If you can't find that, that scene funny when those are being read <laughs> out loud in front of Congress, I, I, I don't know what to do with you. So I mean, can we, can we get into spoilers? Because I feel like if, you're, if, you're, if you've listened this far into the podcast, you probably are caught up with Veep, at least to the extent we are, which is to say you've seen everything except for the series finale, which airs um, just a few days from now as we record this. Um, can we talk spoilers? Is... I mean, sure. Okay, because I have a lot of, I have, I, have, I have a couple of things I want to ask you about. For example, I want to ask you how you're feeling about the transformation, not transformation necessarily, but the changes that have occurred regarding Amy this season. Oh God, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Amy, Amy's break from Selena needed to have some sort of consequence. It needed to have some sort of um, tie-in. And um, the way that they've kind of placed her next to Jonah to illustrate her own level of, of I guess, competitiveness might be the nice way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that's that's brought out a lot of really good things in Amy. And I thought her arc over the final season, which has been just horrendous. She's had some horrible, horrible things happen and just, you know, leapt back into the fray mm-hmm. uh, without a second thought. I think that kind of puts a good button on where things are with her and, and how she's how she's in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little sad for me because uh, on the one hand, uh, Amy Amy's character was probably the one I identified with the most in like an early season. She kind of is identified with is a weird way of putting it. She was the one I connected with, I think, the most. And I really liked her in early seasons. And and I, it, so it's like it's weird to see her take kind of a villainous turn. Um, I don't really think she's villainous. I mean, I think that she's um, like when... <laughs> 
she did a lot of terrible things for Selena. Oh, like yeah. she was she was never somebody who was who was who was good. She was somebody who um, would try to nudge Selena toward the right choice when it was advantageous to both of them and advantageous to you know, the party, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they, yeah, that moment when um, you know Jonah's leading a speech and he says something, I can't remember exactly what he says. It might have been the vaccine thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says something so atrocious that you'd expect the crowd to turn on him. And then the crowd only decides to embrace it because, right. you know, America. Um, <laughs> everybody else leaves, you know, the, the, Teddy, Pat mm-hmm. Oswalt's yeah. sexual assaulter, who's been or who may have been sexually castrated or chemically or castrated, <laughs> um, he leaves. Uh, Diedrich Bader, who's who's also shown that he's willing to do a lot of bad things, uh, he he takes off. He's like, I can't. Like this is too much for me. And her choice in that moment to be like, you know what, I'm gonna ride this out. Like I'm gonna I'm I I can see that he's onto something, and I'm gonna push him toward the finish line. And I think that illustrated a lot of her. Um, her belief in herself like she believes she can control jonah she believes that she can kind of get him to do what she wants him to do and if not him specifically then you know orchestrate things behind the scenes because he's an idiot um but yeah no i mean it's it's there's heartbreaking elements to it especially if you look back to like one of anna chlumsky's best scenes uh when she charges into selena's room and in oh Mm. god it was like six that's like season Five? Five, five-ish, I think. Yeah, and she just lets her have it. And, you know, Selena's never seen anything like this. Um, and that's that's kind of that moment that's really special. And there's, there's a moment when, when Selena's up for election. It's election night, and, 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 and Amy's supposed to be on TV, and she abandons her post to go be with Selena because she's just like, I've gone through this. Like, I've been there for all. I have to be there when she either wins or loses. Um, so there's little moments of kind of humanity within Amy that, that pop up. Um, but she's still part of the machine. Well, I no longer would say I strongly identify with Amy. Uh, the thing I really do admire is the fact that she, that the, because she's gotten to take this kind of extreme turn, like Anna Chomsky is doing some amazing acting. Like so many of her tiny like little reactions to Jonah, like in the, just the corner of the scene are so fun to catch. Like it's been really incredible watching her. Yeah, no, she's great. I, I'm I'm still kind of, perpetually stunned whenever you know emmy season comes back around and i realize that she hasn't won yet she's gotten nominated a bunch of times oh yeah but the fact that she hasn't won is crazy it is pretty stupid um so another question i have for you um is i we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it but i remember you had watched uh the screener for episode five super tuesday one of the big twists Mm. And I think you watched it before a lot of other people, and you were basically doing the thing of, like, please, other people, watch the screener so I can talk to you about it. Um, and I finally watched it, and I never didn't get a chance to talk to you about it. Uh, so let's talk about that twist, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also been and slightly altered since episode six. So in episode five, one of the things that, you know, one of the developing <clears throat> plot lines of the final season is that selena has gotten into bed with the the, the chinese government uh, in order to help rig the election and move her into office um, little did she know that they were actually uh, only using her as kind of a, a maneuvering piece in order to get her rival mm-hmm. into into office um, but that all kind of changed in the sixth episode but uh, what happened in the fifth episode was uh, basically um, the other storyline in which Andrew, her ex-husband, um, 
who's been having legal troubles since the day we've met him, mm-hmm. uh, looked like he was finally going to get caught, and he'd put a lot of Selena's names on a lot of key documents, so it looked like Selena was going to go down as well. And she basically, you know, asked him to leave, like asked him, and he, he bailed out of town. I think actually he might have come up with the idea to leave. Um, I think he's he, the one who bring, brings up the boat. Yeah, and then he leaves uh, on the boat. But when she tells uh, her contact with the Chinese government, played by Andy Daly, um, what the plan is and how they're handling this so that, you know, she's going to be okay and be able to keep moving forward, uh, he interprets that decision as as, as as a request to kill Andrew. Right. And he reports to her that the boat has exploded and that Andrew is the only one on board and that it's been taken care of. Right. <laughs> and and Selena, um, obviously, as we've mentioned already, has done some pretty terrible things in the past, but she's probably stopped short of murdering someone she knows. Right. Uh, of consciously murdering someone she knows or even feeling like she's responsible for the death of someone she knows. Like, she she might, she's definitely been responsible for, for the deaths of, of people, soldiers, mm-hmm. um, but usually she doesn't have to feel accountable in a way in which she's felt accountable for what happened to Andrew. Right. And um, that moment was a, a big turning point because she's starting to see the literal cost she's willing to pay to get to this presidency. Right. And um, in the next episode, in episode six, that kind of conversation continues as she uh, maneuvers around another bad situation for herself. And as she's driving through the streets of Sweden, she sees a man who looks like Andrew as she's passing through in the car, wearing kind of a, a dark wig, I think. <laughs> um, but uh, but we don't know. We don't know if he's really there. If he if he faked his own death, which is not something we'd be able to like. We could put past Andrew. He's sort of right. capable of it. Or if she's guilty, like if she's feeling so guilty about what she's doing that she's starting to imagine the people that she's killed or, or the person that she's killed um, around her uh, in her day-to-day life. And I don't know if this is going to be something that's addressed in the finale, um, if we're going to get kind of a concrete answer on Andrew's fate and, and you know, how she's reacting to it. Um, but I do know the theme is going to continue of kind of looking at what Selena gives up to get to the to the presidency. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting issue because, like, extreme murder like that is quite a thing uh, to bring into your comedy show in its last episodes. Uh, I mean, it was such a good moment for Andy Daly, though, like, because he's such an interesting actor, and seeing him go dark like that was, like, I mean, I was a little taken aback. I was a little scared of Andy Daly, who is not someone I'm used to being scared of. Um, yeah, it was a really good moment. The the one that kind of got more press was, um, and rightfully, I mean, rightfully for for getting attention, was um, on Barry when in the in the premiere, mm-hmm. uh, when Noho Hank, oh yeah, has that moment where he has to actually tell Barry, no, 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 you're gonna do this for me. I kill people. This is who I am. And they kind of that slow pan from behind him to reveal that he's waiting for Barry outside the acting studio. Um, like that was a big moment in which they pay attention to like oh this guy who we've all kind of regarded as really funny can get dark and serious but yeah you're right like Andy Daly you know he turned it on really well mm-hmm. and he, he was he's he's been able to use that kind of um chipper uh kind of specific enthusiasm that he mm-hmm. has like he's been able to channel that into a few different um into a little bit of like the the dunderheaded I'm not I don't know what's going on right. uh, oblivious guy at the start of the season and then the no 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 I know everything that's going on 
later in the season, and then then again shifting it over toward kind of an evil, uh, villainous persona. Yeah, I mean, and I think the only the only other thing I want to make sure I, I I bring up is I I feel like it's a little obvious where it's going, but I'm thoroughly enjoying the rise to power of Richard Splutt. Oh yeah, I mean. Richard's great. He's governor of Iowa now. Yeah. Right where he belongs. And by the way, one thing I'm enjoying, too, is the fact that they basically, it kind of feels like uh, Veep, the Veep casting department looked at their, looked at the remaining episodes and were like, let's just jam everyone we physically can in here. And like, so, hey, Michael McKean, sure, show up for one episode playing the, the playing the governor and all that. Yeah, no, McKean was great. Um you know, but the, I mean, honestly, that's just kind of their love of Better Call Saul because they grabbed Rhea Seahorn too, um, brought both of those fine actors into the final season, which was a great call. Um, but I thought that, yeah, they've done a really good job of, of bringing oh. back key characters, both from the past and introducing new ones. Yeah, uh, John Carroll Lynch, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily an obvious one to bring in. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, Lennon Parham came back. Uh, she'd been, of course, on the show before. Yeah, and uh, the... <laughs> Shit, what's her name? Um, the the Swiss ambassador that she hates. Oh, uh, Mina. Yeah, Mina. Um, I can't find her. Hold on. <laughs> We're looking it up. Um, Sally Phillips. Uh, yeah, she she made her way back to the show, which is another like it's just a fan favorite kind of person. Nelson Franklin came back with Dan uh, Beckendahl, like that, like so many people. Um, who people have kind of grown to love have been given their little time in the spotlight. Even uh, Jonah's uncle, um, Christ. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uncle Jerry? I think it's Uncle... Well, I think his character's name is Uncle Jerry. Um, uncle Jeff. Uncle Jeff, yeah. Uh, Peter McNichol. Peter McNichol, yeah. Like, Jesus, Peter McNichol is so good. And they've, they continue to push him into really dark territory. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, the cast that they've assembled over the years has just been, I mean, second to yeah. none. Are they going to – how aggressively do you think they're going to go after guest uh, actor slots? Well, it's tricky because they've of, only got seven episodes. And the rule with guest actors is you have to be in less than, than half. Fi- less than 50%. Right. So you have to be in less than half of the episodes uh, that so air be- during the season. So they basically have to only be in three. And a lot of their guest actor candidates, like, you know, Hugh Laurie, they're going to be in more than three. So, like, if they're in – they're in the finale that kind of tips the scales um against them so it's uh it's a bit tricky yeah absolutely i'm actually checking uh oh yeah yeah uh Laurie was in four episodes so far this season so he'd be he'd be out oh well maybe well michael mckean probably is only in the one so he's a potential candidate yeah michael mckean would, would probably be able to get in there but um yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how it does in its final year. Yeah. It's very deserving. Yes, yet, yet another Emmy for that Michael McKean deserves to get nominated for that he won't be. Maybe not. He's, well. I think he's got a he's got a better shot now. <laughs> well, hopefully. Uh, I'm sorry. That was, that was my residual Better Call Saul bitterness, which will never, ever go away. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a little, I mean, hopefully... As you listen to this, you watched the series finale last night. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed uh, the final the final moments of Veep we got. Um, I I'm just gonna be I'm like it's it's a it's a show I love kind of just rolling around in, especially when it gets into stuff like like Jonah's insane 
family family issues this season and um, everything that had happened there. And like, I mean, he was born in Canada. He's ill. He's not actually eligible to be president, and yet they're still rolling with it. It's it's a it's been a really special show, and it will be very much missed. Yeah, I yeah I'm. This one's uh. This loss is, is striking a bit of a chord with me more than I expected, and um, I think part of it just relates back. I, I was very lucky to be able to go to the set for the final day of shooting and kind of watch a lot of these people come together and, and reminisce about, you know, what they were able to accomplish and um, hear some very moving speeches and see Julia cry like 19 times every oh. time somebody rapped. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I really do feel like there's gonna, there's gonna be a hole in the schedule next year, just as there was last year, um, when Veep is gone. Because I I don't. There's plenty of like there's so many good comedies out there, but it just doesn't work where you take one good one to replace a great one. Like it it, it it's gonna be weird without them for a little bit. When do you think? Uh, do you think like so? Presuming Julia wins the Best Actress award this year. Um, do you feel like like next year, the year after that, we'll see an obvious successor to her reign? No, I mean, there's definitely people who are who are lining up to kind of have a good run at the Emmys. You know, Rachel Brosnahan won last year, and and Maisel looks like it's going to keep going for a little bit. I, I really think Pamela Adlon's going to have a good year with Better Things and going to continue to benefit in the acting category uh, because a lot of people want to pay tribute to all the stuff she's doing. Um, at, at, at kind of the most focal point um, of, of her roles, but no, I don't, I don't think there's I don't think there's going to be a successor, and I don't think there's going to be a comparison. I think um, I think Chelsea's of the generation, and I will be just more excited to see whatever she chooses to do next, mm-hmm. um, and however she chooses to to kind of follow this up because this was a this was big, like this was her. She was a producer. She was the star. She was the person kind of carrying this through transition from one, you know, showrunner to the next. Um, she was the face of the franchise in a way that she wasn't always for some of her other shows, and it, it's lasted so long, and it's also been so personal um, to her that I, I mean, I don't know what the next thing's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it has also been one of you know, not that all networks don't have this problem, but you know, it. How many female-led comedies are there? Like, just full stop. Like, yeah. especially on HBO. Like, it it will it will be missed. And so, Ben. Well, just to wrap before before yeah. we go, I wanted to read this little thing from Hugh Laurie from the set because I'm working on the story to get it up hopefully by Monday. Sure. Um, and like you guys can read read it then. But I I just I felt like this was such a sweet moment that I wanted to highlight it. He when he got wrapped when they when they called rap on his character. So he's in the um, final episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's in the final episode. <laughs> when they called rap on his character, um, a lot of people gave little speeches like they'd try like everybody would kind of huddle around and hug each other and they they'd talk. But um, Hugh Laurie rapped like right before lunch and he described himself as just the Norwegian cousin who comes to visit about twice a year. Uh, in relation to you know he's not a series regular. He's somebody who just kind of pops in for guest arcs over the last three or four seasons. And um, he said, as people kept asking about what it was like to go work with the people of Veep, like the team behind Veep, this Emmy Award winning HBO prestige, important big show, 
Um, he says, as time went by, I would just end up saying the best. They were the best writers. They were the best crew. They were the best cast. And the best I ever saw was Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And it just broke the room. Like, the whole the whole place just came down when he uh. gave this little speech. And then, almost even better, <laughs> when they were at lunch, he just walked around with these um, paper-wrapped books that he gave to each and every member of the cast and a bunch of the crew and writers and they had like little inscriptions or sometimes the book was oh, i gotta find it in my notes i don't know read the story we'll come back to that point of it but it was a um it was a children's book oh, okay. uh, kind of written about some of the stupid things trump has done but oh, okay gotcha um but yeah so I, I i thought that was a great note yeah and there's there's a lot more to come uh, about that last day but i, mean, I think you did well the only thing that could have made that story better is if you had actually attempted to do a, a, a Hugh Laurie accent. Yeah, I don't actually don't remember if he. I think he used his British, like his his or his actual accent, because you know he's plays an American on the show. So, but I think when he'd rapped, he dropped it. I think during on set, he kind of kept it up. But yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, Ben, with that said, what was the best thing you watched last week that wasn't Veep? Uh, I'm sticking with Veep and Better <laughs> Things uh, as the two that I continue to say are the best things on TV because they are. They're the best things I've watched, no matter what else I've watched. Um, but I will give a, a belated shout-out to Barry. Um, I think a lot of people will rush to say, you know, now that Veep is gone, Barry can become, you know, the, the crown jewel of, of HBO's comedies, if, if not comedies on TV in general. And uh, I'm not going to dissuade that theory at all. It's it's incredibly deserving, and this season has been impeccable. I'm very very excited to finish it uh, and and see what everybody says uh, about what's next. I don't want I don't know if I want Barry to be HBO's flagship comedy. I, I like I like Barry as kind of like the underground uh, underdog. I mean, its ratings are growing. It got 16 Emmy nominations last year, uh, two wins uh, for for Hater and Winkler. Um, I, I think it's going to do well. But it's not the first time I've been wrong about something. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. It could definitely continue to position itself as kind of the quiet little underdog. Um, but I think people are about to get very loud about Barry. So. Indeed. Uh, Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week? Well, I'm going to shout out for uh, The Dearly Departed Into the Badlands, a show that ne- people will be discovering, I'm sure, on Netflix for years to come. It's It remains like just... The ending, I feel like, wasn't quite as satisfying as I wanted it to be, but part of that was that they thought they had a spinoff in the works. Um, the details about said spinoff uh, were actually really interesting, according to my interview this afternoon with the showrunners. Um, so, yeah, but uh, the other, th- but the thing I'm really, I'm, I, I need to put into words how much this affected me uh, was the uh, recently it, it, it's the documentary uh, "What We Leave Behind," which is about the making of Star Trek Deep Space Nine from like a you know position of many many years in the pa- in the future um, looking back on what they did on the making of the show from the perspective of largely from the perspective of Ira Stephen Burr who was one of the key producers and really brought the whole thing together and it, the whole thing being the documentary which interviews everyone involved with the show including uh, like cast members who left abruptly uh, at the end of season six, uh, which leads to actually a couple of emotional uh, confrontations. Oh. oh boy! Yeah, it's. I mean, admittedly, if 
Star Trek is Star Trek Deep Space Nine was my all time favorite Star Trek. Is my all time favorite Star Trek. Um, there are sequences in this thing that are tailor made to blow my '90s child mind, uh, and but I think it's also like a really interesting documentary in terms of it being it having enough personal touches to really be a treat for fans, but also uh, be an interesting document about the making of that show and also what the producers think they could have done better. Uh, there's actually, there's a really interesting sequence uh, where uh, Ira Steven Burr basically says, we could have, we, we, we could have pushed that envelope. We could have done more. And we, we, we do, do not deserve credit for exploring this, this, this or that issue. Hmm. So it's a really interesting documentary. Uh, it'll be making its theatrical debut through Fathom uh, the, it, very soon. Uh, but I believe there are other distribution plans in place that I need to look up and figure out. Sounds yes. good. Uh, ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um, nothing nearly as personal, uh, nor that I can vouch for quite as uh, deeply. But when I was driving to work today, um, going through Hollywood, there was I, I stopped at a stoplight, and across the street there was a guy etching on the building, and it looked kind of like... I don't know if he was homeless or if he was um, just somebody kind of fucking around because it looked like the building was just kind of white and it had all these kind of scrapes on it and just it looked like a mess. And I was like, I wonder what he's doing. That seems silly. And then I kind of caught something out of the corner of my eye on the building and it looked like it said something. And then I was like, oh, it do- it says it says Vita. And the guy was etching like the start of what was going to be this big mural. Oh. So he was like outlining the mural on the building. And when I looked closer, he was wearing kind of painter's pants and, and um, you know, just he'd, he'd been at it since early in the morning and they're probably going to be up by the time I go back tonight. But um, he was he was prepping it for Vita season two. And uh, I feel like Stars is doing a pretty good job getting the word out well beyond, you know, this one street art painting that I stumbled into. But um I've seen the first couple episodes. I think they're still very, very strong. It's got a great personality, and it still is, is something where you kind of just fall into it, and you don't want to get back out. Like it, 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 it just has great, rich characters, um, and tells the story very effectively. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to Tanya Sriracha's season two. Uh, I'll be checking it out pretty okay. soon. Uh, I think it comes out that may 21st or 22nd it's it's they sent us tequila to tell us yeah mid to late may um but you'll see plenty about that on IndieWire. and until then uh liz what was the next thing you're looking forward to well you reminded me that i <clears throat> i need to finish watching catch 22 uh just before we start recording i uh i really enjoyed the first episode when i watched it way back in february uh and i'm looking i'll probably have to start it from the beginning just because all that but that'll be coming out on uh hulu may 17th uh i have some interesting interviews with uh, people involved with making the show and i think hopefully we can try to get we might try to we should probably try to get some more stuff because again i only saw the beginning um you're right liz we should probably bring kyle chandler on the podcast you're right i'm sorry. um yeah that would not be a problem with such me. a good idea liz it's a really good idea way to go ben Mm-mm. not taking credit for this liz we all heard it we all heard it uh, bring in coach on board he is the highlight of that series. I can't even talk about it. Yeah, you, you, you. He literally Ben and I were trying to talk. We were talking about Catch Twenty Two earlier, and you were, you were equally 
in, you were in, equally incoherent when it came to discussing <laughs> Kyle Chandler. There's like a slow progression in my notes where as I'm watching, you know, there's there's stray things about, you know, certain things that are going on in the show and commentary about the look and the feel and the other actors and the tonal shifts. Um, and then at one point I was just like, oh, Kyle Chandler. Wow, that was that was pretty good. And there's like a little thing about Kyle Chandler. And then there's another thing about Kyle Chandler. And then it turned into just Kyle Chandler, like, notes. Like, just that. Because he he's a supporting player in the show. Um, but he's just amazing. Like, yeah. he just kills it. No, I'm 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 looking forward to it very much. Uh, this sounds like when I whenever I end up having to review a season of Narcos, and my notes eventually just evolve into Pedro Pascal, he rules. Which why they why why isn't Pedro Pascal on Narcos anymore? Oh, because I mean, he's on the Mandalorian. That, yeah, I was gonna say it's amazing that Narcos is still on at all. Oh uh, well, technically it's not. It's Narcos colon Mexico. Yeah, but, but is it, there another one coming? They announced another one, didn't they? Uh, yeah, it's there's not another Mexico, season. but no. it's like another kind of like. No, I think... Is well, it Mexico? Oh, God, are they doing... No, no more Narcos. Too I, much I Narcos. I think they're doing more Narcos. What? I think they're doing more. Oh, God. I, well, they do have my... They do have Diego Luna. They always have such good casts. Michael Pena. Michael Pena. Well, uh, Michael Pena may not be back for the next season. Uh-oh. Yeah. Spoiler alert. That's fine. Um. Anywho. So, Catch-22 also... Um, I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but I'm looking forward to check at least watching casually the CBS series Blood and Treasure, um, which is their summer big summer blockbuster epic. It looks like it looks like sexy, sexy will they or won't they? You know, couple goes on globetrotting adventure. Art, you know, they're trying to stop a terrorist who steals uh, ancient artifacts to fund his terrorism. So of course, as they do, as they do, it's just a natural thing. So. Uh, I don't know if you'll be re- able to read a lot about Blood and Treasure on IndieWire.com, but you'll probably definitely be able to read a lot about Catch-22 and other shows we've discussed today, uh, you, where you'll also find news reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. Make sure to listen to IndieWire's other podcasts, including the one that started it all, Screen Talk, with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson, uh, and, of course, the perfect, the gallant, uh, the the courageous, the unflappable, unflinching, the reporter of all reporters and podcaster of all podcasters, Chris O'Fault on the tool, wait, on the filmmaker toolkit podcast. You did. Yeah. Oh, also I meant to add to my ongoing list of, of best thing I watched, uh-huh. the mandatory options, um, Tuca and Birdie. So make sure you're watching Tuca and Birdie. Yep. Um, I don't know how many people listen to our podcast. I don't know how many people actually take our advice when we say these things. But if all of you could, on just this once, <laughs> that would be great. And if you've watched it already, watch it again, because there's probably stuff you missed. I know uh, I have. Right. Yeah. Great, great recommendation, Liz. I want to write more about Tuca and Birdie, and I need you guys to watch it for that to happen. So Voice cast guide did pretty, pretty well this weekend. Some things have done well for us. I need more things to do well. Sure. Uh, so everybody watch it. All right. Um, in, in case you need reminders about watching Tuca and Birdie, you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. Oh, my God. That's like all I do. Yeah. Um, and better yet, for things that are Tuca and Birdie and also more than Tuca and Birdie, you could follow Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E. Correct. Uh, we will be back next week. Thank you guys, as always, so much for listening. And until next time, keep watching television. Keep watching television.